today we are on the cusp of a brand new year and also a brand new decade. And so before we get started, I thought it'd be uh, a little fun to look back at the last 10 years and see just a very briefly what has happened. Because when I look back, it was hard for me to believe that a lot happened in, in 10 years too, all this happened. Um, back in 2010, the first iPad came out in April. And a 7.0 magnitude struck Haiti, killing 230,000 people. In 2011, Prince William and Kate Middleton got married. The final Harry Potter book came out. Occupy Wall Street happened, and Osama bin Laden was killed. On December 21st of 2012, some people thought the world was going to end because of the Mayan calendar. It didn't. Spoiler alert, we're still here. 2013 had everyone asking the question, what does the fox say? And the Black Lives Matter movement started. In 2014, people dumped buckets of ice water on their heads to combat ALS, and the Affordable Care Act went into effect. In 2015, gay marriage became legal. People on the internet couldn't decide if the dress was black or blue, or white or gold, and it was obviously black and blue. In 2016, Donald Trump became president. You probably argued with people about that. Brexit was voted on. In 2017, there was the Women's March, the Me Too movement, a total eclipse, and fidget spinners. In 2018, there was apparently more reported mass shootings than there were days in the year. There was a false missile crisis over in Hawaii. They all got a text. And the year ended with Hurricane Michael hitting Florida for us. In 2019, there was the fire of Notre Dame, the Mueller report, an impeachment, a picture of a black hole, wildfires, and Hong Kong protests. That's barely scratching the surface, as you all know. For some of us, the last 10 years were marked with joy, laughter, births, weddings, new homes, new jobs, tremendous triumphs. And for others, it was marked by tears and sorrow, deaths, illness, destroyed homes, lost jobs. But through it all, both joy and pain, Jesus was on his throne. And here we stand on the other side. So well done. We made it another decade on God's earth. And somehow, whether we see it now or not, looking back, Jesus was working all of those ten years, that decade, for the good of those who love him. That may be hard for us to hear after everything I just reminded us about, but it's true. And it's not just true because I'm saying it. It's not just true because I can tell you personal experiences that he is good and that he will work all things together for the good. But it's true because he says it. It's true because his word says it. And it's true because he's going to do it in the world. Because of our sinful, obstinate hearts, we tend to focus more on the negative. You know this is true. We tend to look back on the 10 years. And if you looked at my list, I, I highlighted some of the negatives, right? But it's important for us to look back and count our blessings. It's important to see that Jesus, in the midst of it all, is really and truly making all things new. So from our 10-year vantage point today, having made it to the other side, I want us to stop and catch our breaths and relax and rejoice that Jesus Christ is the Savior of us all. And that he's carried us through another 10 years and he's going to do it again in the next decade. So as we travel towards our final home, let's take comfort knowing that Jesus is our captain. 
And he's faithful to complete the work that he started. Uh, as we think about the next decade and the decade that has passed, I want to I use Revelation 21, 8, 1 through 8. It's going to help us give a, a heavenly perspective on the whole last 10 years and hopefully on the 10 years to come. So please, if you would, pull out your Bibles, uh, pull out your robot Bibles, whatever you can, or follow along on the screen. Uh, and let's read together. This is 21, 1 through 8. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. And death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this down, for this, these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to them, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. When I was 18 years old, I got a brand new car. I had a, a decent job. I was working at Home Depot, and I thought, I'm tired. I've gone, I went through like five used cars up to this point. People had given me cars. Uh, praise God for that. But I'd gone through all these used cars, and I said, I have a good job. I'm going to get a new car, a brand new car. And my parents said, no, 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 you need to get a used car. No. No, get a new car. So I went to the Toyota dealership, and I found this little Yaris, and I, I got it, and I'm driving off the lot, and my dad's in the passenger seat, and he looks at me, and he says, congratulations, son. Your car is now $5,000 less than what you just paid for it. <laughs> what a Debbie Derrick. This is what I've had to live with. <laughs> and of course he was right. Of course he was right. I, like many of us do at one point or another, I had childlike eyes for the new, for that new, fresh new car smell. And I wanted to flaunt it off and show it off. And, you know, I like that. That little five miles on the odometer, you know, fresh, new, new car. But my dad was channeling Ecclesiastes 1.9, which says, What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Even as we think of the new year, we need to remember this fact. There is nothing new under the sun. Charles Spurgeon speaks of it in this way. He says, This is the first day of a new year. And therefore, a solemnly joyous day, though there is really no difference between it and any other day. Yet in our mind and thought, it is a marked period, which we regard as one of the milestones set up on the highway of our life. It is only in our imaginations that there is any close of one year and beginning of another. And yet it has most fitly all the force of a great fact. And so we approach January 1st each year with delight. And we hope that this year, this, this year, this is the one. This will be better than the last year. And we get new calendars and we throw out the old ones, put the new ones. And we soon learn it's just another year. 
It's just another, every day, it's just, it's just the same old, same old. My new car is now an old car. If I sold it, I would get a fraction of what I paid back. All these new toys, these clothes, these electronics you just got for, for Christmas, guess what? They're now used. They're now used. They're now old. I think in the past decade, people have started to realize this slowly, that there's nothing new under the sun. Because technology, I mean, you, 2010 was the first iPad. Technology has boomed and moved so quickly in such a way that we've lost so much personal interaction with each other. We, we sit at tables and we have our phones you know, in our faces and we're texting each other. And, and we say, I just wish things could be the way they used to be. If we could just get back to the good old days, you know, back when the black plague was rampant and, you know, all the, the good old days. You know, not that, but, you know. So what do we do? We take the old things and we try to make them new again. We reboot movies and television and old shows and, and we try to feel for this nostalgic thing that we have. We take this old used thing and we try to, it's new now. Now it's new. Well, it's the same story. No, no, it's new. It's new. We have record players and shiny new packages. It's still a record player. And all this chasing after the new, trying to resurrect the old, is vanity. It's worthless. Nothing is new under the sun. Nothing made by human hands will last. You cannot take it with you. Christians must not be carried away by novelty. We must not be like Lot's wife. We must not look back. We must not be fixed on worthless things with bitter longing. We are children of heaven. We are children of grace. We are children of the promise. And so our eyes are fixed not on the old or the new, but on the timeless, eternal King Jesus. It's only through the lens of grace and truth that we can rightly judge both the old and new things of this world. It's only through the light of the gospel that we can live in the darkness and see the future. We are to remain steadfast in an ever-changing, fad-seeking, new-obsessed world. Why? Because our hope is sure. Because our hope is sure, our future is fixed. We worship a God that is timeless, unchanging, unchangeable. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And while we rejoice at this fact, many in the world hate it. They hate it because they want a reboot. We need to take the old God and reboot him. We need a, a new God, new scriptures, new ideas. They want a God in their own image rather than being worshiping the one who made them in theirs. They want a modern domesticated gospel with flashing lights and smoke and mirrors. But beloved, I ask you, is there anything more radical, more new than the old, old gospel? Is there anything more timeless than the best new news of Jesus Christ and him crucified and resurrected for our sins? And when Jesus says, I come to bring good news, when he says that I come to make all things new, he's talking about really making all things new. A newness that is unchangeable, evergreen, eternal in Christ forever. In our text today, we see this laid out in John's vision of heaven and of Christ on his throne. Here's the three points I want us to focus on today. First thing is Jesus has taken the past old things and he made them eternally new. The second thing is he's making all things in the present eternally new. And three, he's secured us a new and eternal future with him. 
So listen now to verses 1 through 3 again. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. Verses 1 and 2, I apologize. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. And in the beginning was the Word, the divine Logos, Christ. God made all things good. And in the garden, he placed Adam and Eve to tend to it, to take care of it. And you know the story, but we can always be reminded the serpent crept in. And they disobeyed God. And through their disobedience, the universe was cast into a chaotic state of sin and decay and misery. Paul speaks of the universality of their fall in Romans 8, 19-21. Paul says, For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not of its own will, but by the will of the one who subjected it. In hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and will obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. And so this futility that Paul speaks of is why our new stuff quickly becomes used stuff. It's why it decays and rusts and rots and ruin befalls all things because they're not eternally new. Creation is groaning. Creation has been groaning ever since the fall. It's waiting eagerly for our redemption. It's waiting to be made right. And here in Revelation, we see the fulfillment of this old promise. The old promise back in Genesis 3.15 that God said, One will stop the serpent. There will come one who will crush his head once and for all. And all that rot and ruin and rust and decay, all of it will be taken care of in heaven. And so now we're told to store up treasures where none of that takes place. Not here on earth, but in heaven where moth and rust cannot destroy In the same way, the old covenant that God made with Adam was made new through the new and better Adam, who is Jesus Christ. Listen to Romans 5.15. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, Adam, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? And so that which Adam caused by his disobedience on a tree, Christ undid by his obedience On a tree. Adam cursed us all to death through his disobedience, but Jesus, through his obedience, took our curse upon himself. And so the old covenant between God and Adam was based on the stipulation of do this and live. God says in Genesis 2, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you will surely die. Now listen to the new covenant. The new covenant under Christ, as our federal head says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. It is not now do and live, but instead live and do in Christ. We're not saved by our covenant keeping. We're not saved by our good works. We're saved by belief in Christ Jesus and his good works and his covenant keeping on our behalf. And so John sees this vision of the future, this promised redemption of the old earth and the heaven and made eternally new. Not only that, but now he sees a new Jerusalem coming down, this beautiful picture of Jerusalem adorned like a bride on her wedding day. This Jerusalem represents not the city, but the people 
that God covenanted with all those many years ago through Abraham. When he first called a people who were not his people to be his people. We read in Deuteronomy 7 why he chose them in the first place. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than the other peoples. For you were the fewest of all peoples. But because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your fathers. And you see the oath that God swore to their fathers that he would be their God and that we would be his people was the covenant that God had made with Abraham. It was built upon the perfect sacrifice of Jesus. And so that old covenant was always looking forward to the new. All the covenants were built upon that covenant of grace. And so now Jesus comes in the New Testament with the new covenant. He says, all the law and prophets can be summarized in this way. Love God, love others. A new covenant I give you. Love God, love others. The oath that God swore to their fathers was accomplished in Jesus Christ. And now the church, now the church is the spiritual, true Israel. And so the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven represents the church. The old people made new. God's old covenant people made new through Jesus Christ. Everlasting. Everlasting. Final, true reconciliation between God and man for all eternity. Verse 3, and I heard a loud voice. I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them. They will be his people. And God himself will be with them as their God. Returning once more to the garden, we see this picturesque view from the very beginning of man and God walking together. And God has placed Adam and Eve there to be uh, stewards, to take dominion over the earth, and all of that changes with Adam's disobedience. But now John tells us there's a voice. There's a voice from the throne, and it's speaking in a loud way so that no one can deny where it's coming from. And we say, who, who is speaking? Who is this voice? Who, who, who's on the other end of this voice? It's the triumphant Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's the voice of the serpent crusher. It's the king of Israel, the better Adam, the better Moses, the better David. And the mere fact that he's sitting on the throne means he's done it. It's finished. And so we can take his words as trustworthy and true because he's the one on the throne. He's the king. He's accomplished it all. And so he calls out to John. He calls out to all of us. And he says, remember the garden. That's how it's going to be. Remember when we walk together. That's how it's going to be eternally new. As a father picks up his child and wipes away their tears, so shall it be for God's children, for us, for the bride of Christ, as we enter into that eternal rest. The old is past, the new has come. Now I want you to think of your own life. I want you to think of the new reality in which you currently live if you are a believer of Jesus Christ. Think of your old self, your old sins, your old way you used to speak, live, work, play. Would you, would you be ashamed to be seen with your old self, perhaps? But as a believer in Jesus Christ, can't you rightly say now that you are a new creation? Can you rightly say that you've moved from death to life? 
Has Jesus made you truly new? I have a dear friend who for a large portion of his life lived as an atheist. And he became a believer later on. And he told me, he said, is it silly to say that I barely recognize myself in old pictures? And I said, what do you mean? Well, he said, I'm just happier. I smile. I, I just feel different. I, I feel different. I barely recognize myself. And I said, I don't, I don't think that's silly at all. I said, I, I would expect there to be a difference between a corpse and someone who's alive. And that's true of my own life, looking back on a time where I would be ashamed to be with myself. How God has made me new, and how he's making me new, and how he's transforming me into the image of his beloved son, Jesus. So Jesus will make the old earth and the heaven new again. He's fulfilled, established, built upon the old covenants. He's made an old people a new people. He's taken dead men and women and made them alive and new through the power of the gospel. Glory be to God. Moving to the present, some practical application. Let's look at verse 5. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. I always love to point out that the victorious Jesus does not say, Behold, I'm making all new things. But if you read what he says, he says, Behold, I'm making everything new. In 2020, hopefully, we pray, we're going to have a new church building. But it's really our old church building, isn't it? (laughs) It's really our old building made new. And the people in the church, right, the actual body and bride of Christ, hopefully we're going to have some new faces in the old building that's made new. But I love that picture of what we're doing, how we're renovating the church and we're making it new for us. Listen to this. He's making us new. And in the words of there's a singer-songwriter, Andrew Peterson, he puts it this way. He says, the children of the king will be ancient in their youth again. And so in heaven, we'll be ancient in our youth again. Just as our old building is being made new, so too are we being made new. He's restoring his image in fallen man daily through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit. This is why Christians, since the very beginning, have buried our bodies. My wife and I always joke joke around that we'll be buried next to each other. And during the resurrection, when our bodies come up, we're going to high five. You know, as we as we go to meet him in the air, we're going to you know high five, and it'll be wonderful. And we joke around about that, but it's true. This body, which will decay and will perish, will be resurrected, and the imperishable will put on uh, the perishable will put on imperishable, and I'll be raised again. Athanasius, Saint Athanasius, puts it this way. He says, "You know what happens when a portrait that has been painted on a panel becomes obliterated through external stains." The artist does not throw away the panel, but the subject of the portrait has to come and sit for it again. And then the likeness is redrawn on the same material. Even so was it with the all-holy Son of God. He, the image of the Father, came and dwelt in our midst in order that he might renew mankind, made after himself. Another way that Jesus is making us new in the present is the way we love one another. John Piper gives an illustration of what this could look like. I'm going to paraphrase, but I want you to imagine this, okay? If you would, uh, I doubt this happened today, but I want you to imagine this. It's early. It's dark outside. You wake up. The house is asleep, okay? Quiet. Can you imagine that? It's hard to imagine. Quiet. 
You decide to go to the kitchen, you make yourself some coffee, you, you open your Bible in this quiet house, and you read, and in that moment of just you and God, you hear Him speaking to you through His Word, and the words are coming alive to you, and it's affecting your heart, and it's changing all the events of the past day, the day before, the week before. And now the quiet is breaking up, and you pray, and you thank God, you say, thank you so much for that quiet, for that quick little moment. Your husband or your wife comes in, and you pull them close. And maybe you say something like, I'm so thankful for you. I'm so thankful that God has put us together. I praise God for you. Thank you. Also, I made you coffee. Now you head over to your kids' rooms, and they're waking up, and their room's a mess, obviously. And, and you say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about what I said last night. I'm sorry about, about the argument we had. Would you forgive me? I was, that was wrong. I was wrong. And then you pray together. And now you head outside to your car. You're gotten ready. You remember your co-worker has been complaining about this, this stump that he has to take out all week long. You didn't want to do the stump, but the weekend's arrived. And so you pick up your shovels and you pick up some ropes and you go, after work, I'm going to go help my co-worker and take out that stump. You go through the rest of your day like this and the world stands in awe and wonder at what can make a person act like this. In the midst of the noise and the chaos, you're grounded and at peace because Christ has made you new. And that day, through the reading of the word, through the prayer, through communion with God, he has made you a new person again and again and again. New graces, new mercies every single day for your life. Well, none of us will act this way unless the Holy Spirit changes our hearts. That's why reading our Bible, setting time aside for prayer, attending church, all of these things are important because these are the means by which God has chosen to make us new through the power of the gospel. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I have a list that I have on my computer titled The Impossible List. And on this list are impossible people. Names of impossible people who could never, ever in my wildest dreams come to know Jesus Christ. And I've been praying for some of those people since 2010. And they're still in that list. And sometimes I sit there and I think about the weakness of my faith, the lack of faith that I've even named it the impossible list. But here I stand and I behold the king and I listen to his words. And he says, I am making all things new. So I need to go rename the list. Because I'm going to keep praying for those people. For another 10 years if I have to. Because he can take the impossible and make it possible. I know because I was probably on a list. And you were maybe on a list. But somebody prayed for you. And somebody loved you. And somebody loved you enough to tell you you were dead in your sins. And that Jesus came to make you alive. Do you believe that? Do you believe that Jesus could make your impossible marriage new? What about your impossible illness? What about your relationships, your jobs, your anxiety, depression, sin? Can he make it new? Yes, he can. I pray he does. The final point I'm going to make today is the last little bit here. He tells John, Write these down. Write these words down. These, these words are trustworthy and true. Don't just commit them to memory. Put them to paper. And it's because it's like I said. We tend to focus on the negative. 
We don't always tend to focus on the positive. And so Jesus says, no, 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 no. Remember. Remember what I'm going to do. Remember what I have done. Remember what I'm doing in your life. Remember. Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Did you know 2020 is an election year? Did you know it's probably going to be one of the nastiest climates of all time? And as we face that year, we need to guard our tongues, guard our keyboards. We need to season our words with salt. We need to be slow to speak, quick to listen. We need to love one another. Because we know the past, present, and the future are in God's hands. It's going to be okay. Do not put your trust in kings. We put our trust in the king upon the throne. So as we enter the troublesome year under the sun, let's interact with the newness of life that Jesus brings. Verse 6, the last little bit here. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all this. I will be their God. They will be my children. But the cowardly, unbelieving, the vile, the murderers, the sexually immoral, those who practice magic arts, the idolaters, all the liars, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of the burning sulfur. This is the second death. Uh, Again, I'm indebted to Pastor John Piper. I love this man. He wrote a book entitled Don't Waste Your Life. And I read it when I was about 13 or 14, and it impacted me in a huge way. He tells this story about an older gentleman in his father's church who was probably 80, 80 or so years, and he came up to the altar. He'd been in the church for most of his life, and he came up to the altar at 80 years old, and he said, I've wasted it. I've wasted it. I've wasted it. And he just wept. And John Piper talks about living a wasted life. A life that is absolutely wasted, that is based on your own interests, your own wants, your own desires. A life that is utterly passionless about Jesus Christ. You are passionate about yourself, but you are not passionate about Jesus Christ. That is the definition of wasted life. But God calls us to be victorious. He calls us to put off ourselves, to put on the newness of life, to live as the new creation. And he calls us to victory. In contrast to this are the men and women who have not been made new and have loved the darkness. I pray that these individuals, my impossible list... If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ, I pray that you would hear him calling you to become new. Would you stop wasting your life? Don't waste another borrowed breath. If you would come to him and all you would say is, Jesus, make me new. Jesus, would you make me new? You could walk out a new creation. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. I'm going to leave you with this. This is the words of an old hymn by Frances Ridley Havergal. And she says this. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be. In working or in waiting, another year with thee. Another year of progress, another year of praise, another year of proving thy presence all the days. Another year of mercies, of faithfulness and grace. Another year of gladness, the glory of thy face. Another year of yearning, leaning upon thy loving breast. Another year of trusting, of quiet, happy rest. Another year is dawning, dear Father, let it be on earth or else in heaven. Another year for thee.